Hello and welcome to episode 87 of Feckin' Metal. I'm your host, Fergal Trainer. I realise it's been quite a long time since I last spoke to you. In fact, a month and a half since I released my interview with Udo Dirk Schneider back in early September. In the meantime, I've been busy in my personal life. I've been doing things like moving in with my girlfriend, so moving all my stuff from my apartment that I've lived in for seven and a half years and various other things, excuses, excuses, bullshit, etc. Somebody once said to me, all of your excuses are bullshit, and you know what? They're probably right. Anyway, in the meantime as well, I also attended the Keep It True Rising 3 festival over in Würzburg in Germany. Any of you who follow me on Twitter, at Metalcast might have seen a blog attempt that I tried to keep going for the entire weekend, but it kind of died a death um, on day three. But yeah, I did document some of the bands I saw, some of the people I met, and things like that. And as always, it was an excellent festival. So it was a two-day fest this year, and there was no pre-party, which there has been on previous years, and which there actually will be next year. But this was just uh, Friday the 6th of October and Saturday the 7th of October. And I landed in Würzburg with my girlfriend Elaine on Thursday, and we walked around the city had a few beers, had some nice German food, met up with a few good friends that were over for the festival as well. But yes, it was full of excellent bands, you know, excellent uh, signing sessions, if that's your thing. Heavy Load were there at an uh, exclusive signing session, which uh, was also kind of the precursor for an announcement that they're going to be playing the main Keep It True Festival next year in April, which I did predict myself, and which obviously means I'm going to have to fly over for that. I was probably going to go anyway, but that's cemented it now for me. But yes, uh, highlights of the weekend for me. Let's start with day one. Uh, So at 12 o'clock in the day, it is a long-ass day at Keep It True. Amethyst took to the stage. The Swiss traditional heavy metal band who have released an EP, Rock Nights, which I highly recommend, and they were one of the highlights of the weekend for me. Uh, Other highlights that day were Triumpher, kind of a Man of War worship band, I would say, Q5, and they had a special guest of Amy from Solicitor coming up to sing a song with them as well, which was brilliant. Alive and Dangerous, Brian Downey's band, which I've seen multiple times in Dublin, were excellent as well, playing all the Thin Lizzy songs. Dora was pretty good. I thought actually afterwards that I hadn't watched much of her set, but when I looked back through the set list, I realised that I indeed did watch most of it, if not all of it, and she played a cover of... um, Judas Priest Breaking the Law, which was great, went down really well, but she was also mainly playing Warlock songs, specifically from the album Triumph and Agony, which was released in 1987. Those went down really, really well as as well, too. Also, they also went down well. Yes. So yeah, as I said, it's a long-ass day, I keep it true. I was there earlier than 12 to get in to see Amethyst and to just have a look around the stalls. There's also, like, obviously loads of merch stalls. You can buy t-shirts, patches, vinyl CDs, etc., and there's a great section of the floor area in the post hall, uh, sectioned off purposely just to sell merch. And there's lots of vendors there which you can approach. Lots of record labels have their releases there and things like that. And yeah, so I got in earlier than 12, watched Amethyst, watched a bit of Witch Hunter, watched Triumpher, watched a bit of Destructor, not too much. Watched Q5. Don't think I watched Evil Invaders, or maybe I did and I, I didn't really like them. Watched a bit of Omen. I was a bit disappointed by them. But as I said, the, the highlights I mentioned there. Um, yeah, so by the time you're leaving, it's half twelve, you've been there for twelve and a half hours, and I've still yet to master drinking all day for over twelve hours. I'm getting there, I'm getting better, I made it all the way to the end of this one, I didn't go sleep like I might have done at Keep It True in April, although I don't think I actually mentioned that on the podcast, but there you go, there's a little inside info there for you about Keep It True in uh, Loud Iconic Show from back in April. I may have snoozed for a few bands that I wanted to see. I managed not to do that this time, but yeah, it's hard to keep going, hard to keep the momentum going on a 12 plus hour day, but I managed to make it all the way through day one. Anyway, um, day two, I was there for half 11, a good half hour before Tailgunner started. I wanted to definitely get up towards the front of the stage for them, and they were excellent. One of the highlights of the 
festival for me as well. Um, Wizard, an obscure a Swedish band which haven't played gigs in fucking years uh, and barely released any music at all, were surprisingly fantastic. I recommend you check them out. That's Wizard with two Zs, W-I-Z-Z-A-R-D. Not to be confused, of course, with the English band Wizard, who also spelled her name the same way, who sang I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day. As far as I'm aware, the Swedish Wizard have not released a novelty Christmas single. But they only really had one single back in 1986, and then they released a compilation in 2023 called Singles and Demos from the 80s, and now they've released another compilation called Ninya Warrior, N-I-N-Y-A, which is one of their most popular songs. Uh, The Anthology, also in 2023, so they're on the comeback trail as of this year. Highly recommend having a look at them if you ever find them on a festival bill. You might not recognise the name, but they were one of the surprises of the weekend for me. Also on day two, one of the absolute highlights of the entire festival was Phantom Spell. You're going to be hearing a lot about Phantom Spell and how much me and George loved them in this episode. But it was the first ever Phantom Spell gig. Kyle McNeil, the front person from Seven Sisters, had to put together a band of people in order to play what was intended really as a solo release, as he plays all the instruments and wrote all the songs for it. But presumably, Ollie badgered him until he decided to do live gigs. And he's also going to be playing at Up the Hammers this year, or sorry, next year. And I think he's announced another festival date as well, so in Spain actually. So keep an eye out for Phantom Spell, absolutely fantastic band. Following them was Ambush, who were excellent, a band I'd been waiting to see for many years, one of the first new wave of traditional heavy metal uh, bands that I got into. Um, Following them was Metal Lucifer, a Japanese band, which I didn't watch and I regret because a lot of my friends who I was with said they were absolutely fantastic, really entertaining, not to be taken too seriously. All of their songs are called Heavy Metal Something or Other, Heavy Metal Chainsaw, etc. So yeah, apparently they were excellent, I didn't watch them. Later on, I did catch a decent bit of metal church but by the time Dirk Schneider the main headliner came on at half 10 or slightly afterwards I was worse for wear three sheets to the wind whatever you want to call it again a really fucking long day uh, 11 hours and something until Dirk Schneider hit the stage I've seen Dirk Schneider a few times before I would have liked to have seen him this time but at this point I was just gone Uh, I was for the birds so yeah I was um, escorted home by my girlfriend Elaine and we made it back to the hostel safely and soundly and the next day we had a few pints and all was good and all was right with the world but yeah fantastic festival as always i'll definitely be going to keep it true in april in Lauda conic chauffin to see heavy load who haven't played since their reunion gigs a few years ago uh, the new album of theirs is out actually recently as well i've given it a few listens i think it might be a bit of a grower the initial single that they released is brilliant a really really catchy song at first i was thinking hmm it's veering into a bit of euro power metal territory but after repeated listens i would highly recommend that song you should go and seek it out it's recently been added to spotify as well it wasn't put up on a streaming services on release day but they eventually bowed to the pressure of people constantly asking them and they did put it up on streaming services and sorry, that song is called Ride the Night. That's the opening track from the album. It was the lead-in single. And it's uh, at the moment, it's my favourite song on the album, but that may change in the future with future listens. Anyway, as I said, I recommend Keep It True as a festival to anybody who's interested in underground heavy metal, whether that's old bands like the likes of Dirk Schneider or people like that, or Doro playing Warlock songs, or whether it's the new up-and-coming people like Amethyst and Phantom Spell and the likes It's a great catch-all for a lot of those bands in one time at the one place in a brilliant venue with brilliant sound. Now, uh, you might think that's the recap of Keep It True Finish, but it's not because a funny, slightly annoying thing happened to me on the way home. 
we were getting off the plane from Frankfurt into Dublin Airport. It was, I don't know what time at night, maybe nine o'clock, half nine at night. And we were a bit tired. You know, we'd had a few pints that day as well, out and about, uh, meeting up with everyone who was still around in Germany. And we made our way anyway. I managed to sleep on the entire flight, which I never do, which was a fucking godsend. And I was woken up by, you know, this plane landing and that. Maybe a little elbow from somebody who was sitting beside me saying, get the fuck up. Um, and uh, we made our way out into the airport. And I had read, I thought, that our bag was going to be on belt one. So... We were standing there waiting at Belt 1 for our bags to arrive, as you do, you know, you're waiting for ages and ages and nothing happens, and you think, hmm, are these bags coming at all? Sometimes, you know, it might take ages for the bags to be unloaded from the plane, but it had been a decent walk anyway from the plane runway into the airport baggage area to begin with, so we were kind of getting a little bit worried. Then we realised, actually, that I was wrong and the bags were at Belt 6, so we made our way over to Belt 6 after having stood at Belt 1 for maybe half an hour, I'm not sure how long we were standing there, and uh, uh, there was almost nothing left you know when you see like the dregs of the bags like one or two bags just going round and around and around you're like oh shit where's our bags uh, and then all of a sudden I saw my bag I was absolutely delighted I thought it was gone or I thought we were at the wrong belt again or something I was only too happy to see my bag in front of me uh, we picked it up got into a taxi came home whatever had a fantastic sleep um, in a non-hostile bed for the first time in three nights and woke up the next day went about our business didn't go near the bags really that day um, you know you're kind of recovering from the festival and you're you know probably eating a takeaway and all that and then the day after that so we're talking about the Tuesday uh, we came home on the Sunday I was upstairs in my man cave up here and I heard Elaine's voice shouting from downstairs and it was Ferg and I said yes and she said, we have a problem. And I went, oh, fuck, what is it? And I had no idea what it might be, but I made my way downstairs and she had opened my bag to just have it, you know, take out the stuff or whatever. And there was a makeup bag sitting on top of all of the stuff in the bag, which wasn't mine, of course. I have no issue with people who wear makeup who might be male, but I'm not one of them yet. And I certainly didn't bring a makeup bag over to a heavy metal festival with me. So... Why was there a makeup bag in my bag? Well, as you'll have guessed, of course, I took the incorrect bag with me to Germany. Or sorry, home from Dublin Airport. Apologies. Um, I took the incorrect bag. So in advance of this festival, I'd bought a generic trolley bag, you know, the type you can store in the overhead cabin if you want, or you can check it, whatever. Um, but the smaller type of wheelie suitcase, I bought it in a shop called Penny's over here in Ireland. If It's Primark if you're in the UK, and that's a kind of department store. There's loads of them around the place. It's where you go if you wanted to buy a cheap luggage item, basically. So I did. Generic black wheelie case. I had no identifying pieces on it. They didn't have like any kind of marker on it to identify it, a keychain or anything like that, which was stupid of me and which I've learned from now. But basically, I brought home the wrong bag. Had to contact Dublin Airport, or sorry, Aer Lingus, who we were flying with, and they said there'd been no bags found that matched the one that I was describing and that they would create a ticket for me and they'd be in touch with me to let me know if they found my bag. Uh, day passed, they did ring me, they asked me if I had found my bag myself and I said no, no, I still have the wrong bag uh, and they said, they ran through a few bags that they had there, none of which were mine, so in fairness to them, they did keep in touch with me. At this point I was going, fuck, fuck, fuck. So, two major things were in that bag, one of them was my patch jacket which like is of great sentimental value to me, the one with the Oath back patch, which was custom made, but also great monetary value as well in buying the jacket itself, getting all the patches over the years, all of the accompaniments, all the pins, everything that was on it. Probably the most expensive 
Ida McLeod thing I own, to be honest. And I was really, really pissed off that I'd been so careless, firstly, as to not just wear it at home when it meant so much to me instead of putting it in my suitcase. And secondly, to pick up the wrong fucking bag from the belt. Um, so, yeah, I was really annoyed about that. Also in it were a pair of Doc Martens, which, again, quite expensive and they personally mean a lot to me as well. They've been at a lot of festivals, a lot of gigs, and I hope they, well, I was hoping that they were going to help, you know, take me around the world to a few more. But at this point, I kind of resigned myself to the fact that my bag was gone forever. Next morning, another call from Erlingus. Keep me updated. They haven't found my bag. I was like, OK, thanks very much. They said they keep in touch with me. They did. So fair play to Erlingus. You know, I can't fault them there. Then I get a random message on Facebook Messenger from a girl who I wasn't connected with on Facebook. So, you know, the message comes in. It's like, do you know an accepted blah, blah, blah person? And I could only see the first line of the message without actually accepting the message, you know, to read in full. And it was, you didn't by any chance. And I was like, oh, what's this? And it was, you didn't by any chance fly home from Frankfurt to Dublin on Sunday night, did you? And I just said, yes, exclamation mark. And the girl said, right, uh, you didn't by any chance happen to take the wrong bag with you, did you? I was like, again, yes, exclamation mark. Maybe two I threw in at this point. And she was like, right, uh, I think we have your bag and you possibly have my boyfriend's bag. And it turned out that probably her makeup was thrown on top of her boyfriend's stuff. I didn't root through the bag, to be honest. It felt a bit weird looking through somebody else's stuff. But uh, anyway, she had my bag. I had her boyfriend's bag. She lived close by in Dublin and she was willing to drive out and swap the bags with me and she did i swapped my bag back for hers and she gave me back mine and had absolutely everything in it patch jacket ducks patches i bought t-shirts i bought all everything that i had and i was absolutely delighted and i was thinking to myself you don't deserve your fucking look and i really don't think i do sometimes you know you take home the wrong bag from the airport somebody finds you on facebook messages you and is willing to drive out to your house to swap the bag with you. So, yeah, I don't I don't deserve my luck. But anyway, that's what happened. So I'm delighted to say that my patch jacket will accompany me now to many future gigs. And so will my docs, including a gig I'm going to tomorrow, which I'll get to in a minute. Anyway, there's a bit of a recap of Keep It True, including the story of me carelessly misplacing my bag. And it's really my fault for standing at the wrong bloody baggage belt to begin with. So there you are. Now, anyway, so this episode is a continuation of 3 from 23, a sub-series within the series of the new wave of traditional heavy metal that I've been doing with George Solano over the past several months. This was actually recorded back in August. That's how far we're going back. So you're going to hear references to things and times and places that might sound out of date because they are. So I might be referencing the fact that I'm going to keep it true or something like that. I did start chopping a few of them out, but then I realized there were so many of them. I'm just going to leave it there and just preface it with the fact that it was recorded over two months ago. So if you're okay with that, so am I. So yes, that's a lengthy intro. This is a lengthy episode, but we go deep into recent releases from Tailgunner, Witch Hazel and Phantom Spell. So that's two albums and an EP. These are three of the best recently released new wave of traditional heavy metal albums and EPs, in our opinion, and we'd like to share them with you. So with that, here's my chat I had with George back in August. I hope you enjoy it. All right, so I have George Solano back with me here on another 3 from 23. You'll have heard him on the first intro episode we did for the Nawadham theme, I suppose, that we're carrying through or carrying forward with. And we did three from 23 previously, and now we're doing another three from 23. So this is, we're going to focus on three new wave of traditional heavy metal albums released in 2023. It's a simple premise, but there's a little spin on this episode, and George came up with this. Um, but firstly, George, welcome back to Feckin' Metal. How are you? Virgil, 
I'm doing great. How about you? Ah, fantastic. The week's over. I was complaining about work there before we started recording, but that's all in the rearview mirror. Now it's Friday. We're having a beer. We're talking about heavy metal. Cheers. It's pretty fucking good. You know, I can't complain. Cheers indeed. So, yeah, so there's a little spin on this particular episode of three from 23. Actually, you've come up with some themes for episodes in the future as well. So maybe why don't you give the listener a bit of info about what's been going on behind the scenes with our plotting for future episodes on our new wave of traditional heavy metal subseries? Sure. And I'm not saying that every episode has to have a theme tying together the albums, but we have this whole list of ones that we wanted to get to. And I just figured instead of picking them at random, Oh, here's a connection I spotted. The three bands that we're talking about today, they are all from the UK. Excellent. Yeah. And then you have, you shared with me some future kind of ideas and we have plans to do ones from, let's say, three from California, three from Scandinavia, three from Germany, etc. So we might apply that theme, as you said, not in every single episode. Maybe we'll do Nawadham episodes that aren't related to three albums as well. But it is a good way to approach doing an episode because... As I often say, when you're looking at Spotify, sometimes you're staring into the abyss of all music that's ever been created and you don't know where to start. And it can be the same when you're putting together a podcast episode sometimes, especially if you have a podcast like mine, which is me doing whatever the hell I want whenever I want. So you can sometimes be looking into the abyss of topics and going, I could talk about anything. I could do an interview. I could speak myself. I could have somebody on. But it's nice for me anyway to have somewhat of a team to return to and to have in the back of your mind going, right, okay, I'm going to go and kind of focus on this now in the next episode or the one after that. Well, I am happy to help you overcome your option paralysis over there. (laughs) It's exactly what it is. Option paralysis. Couldn't have said it better. Okay, so will we share the bands that we're going to talk about on this episode? Absolutely. Today's three from 23 are Tailgunner, Witch Hazel, and Phantom Spell. And if you're not familiar with those artists... Don't worry, we're going to catch you up. And we're starting off today's show with, I think, the youngest of the bands, Tailgunner. Youngest band, maybe professionally? I mean, this UK band, they've existed since 2018, according to Metal Archives, but they released their first few singles in 22. And now here we are with the debut full length in July of 23. So I saw Tom giving out about that online on Facebook there recently saying, why is everybody going on about the fact that we're around since 2018? It's completely untrue. This band started in 2022, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, somebody fiction, as they say, yeah, or metal archives fiction. Yeah. Somebody chimed in saying, well, that's what it says on Encyclopedia Metallum, Metal Archives. And he's like, yeah, I think that's where people are getting it from. But um. It doesn't appear to be correct. I don't think it's been gone since 2018. Anyway, so that makes them even younger as as a band, like you were saying. And the album, of course, is Guns for Hire. So I had Tom on Feckin' Metal there, and we talked about the release of the album. And that was released in July, on the 14th of July, actually. So, But they've been making a lot of headlines. Uh, they've been doing the rounds in various different news sites, like some Metal Hammer and things like that have done features on them. So Tailgunner have made a big splash quite quickly with the release of their first album, Guns for Hire. And that's what we're going to be looking at. Yeah, I've been excited to talk about this one. And I remember I was listening to that stream they were doing on YouTube with Mm. the band in the chat, commenting with the fans. And they premiered the album. I think it it was the night before it came out and they did Mm. that. And I was listening and I just said, wow, 
this is really fucking good for someone's first album. Yeah. Were you listening to that live? I was, yeah. I didn't realize you were on that. I was listening to it as well and watching it live as well. Anyway, young Connor Warman was on it as well, um, who's Tail Gunner's number one fan, I think it's fair to say. Oh, yeah. Every band needs their social media brand ambassador, and they've got one with him. Yeah. Uh, he did an interview with Tom as well a while back, which is very good, too. It was his first ever interview, and I think he did a great job. Anyway, shout out to Connor, number one fan. So we're going to take a look at Guns for Hire, which, as I said, was released on the 14th of July and is, well, it's a it's a fantastic slab of heavy metal in the Nuadham vein, very much exactly what we're trying to focus on on these episodes. Can I ask what your first opinions were of Tailgunner and actually where you first heard about them or when? Yeah, I'll tell you, man. I first heard them sometime around the beginning of 2022 when their first single was making the rounds. Mm. And it was it was probably Tom himself who posted it in the Haunt fan club on Facebook. Yeah. Where people tend to share a lot of good music of that genre. Anyway, so I heard that single and I noticed a lot of people commenting, wow, these guys have a lot of potential for this being their first song, yada yada. And I sort of marked them down in my head as, okay, this is a band to keep my eye on. Mm. And, you know, once this new album started approaching its release date and it was making the rounds on the internet, then I started listening to some more of the songs. And I said, okay, I want to follow these guys a little more now that they're doing some more stuff. And here we are talking about the debut album, which I got to say, well, you already know, I'm pretty impressed with. Yeah, me too. And I mean, like my opinion on that album is there for all everyone to hear on the on the episode I released a few weeks ago. But because it was an interview episode, I wasn't obviously interspersing clips of the songs while interviewing the bass player and founding member of the band. That would be a bit weird. Well, I've never done it before. I'll put it that way. I haven't done it yet. Uh, as in like here, listen to track four and five minutes and nine seconds of this song. I don't know. I think that would be unusual to do, but I do want to talk about the music more. So let's talk about the music more. So this album starts uh, quite strongly. I think um, the song Shadows of War, fantastic opening riff, amazing dual guitar over it. In the first few seconds, to me, it's kind of shouting echoes of Iron Maiden um, and a really good kind of pre-chorus into the chorus. So I'm just going to play that from the start there and uh, have a little listen. This is great. Like, talk about album intros. I'm hooked already.
So I'm just going to stop it there. So I mentioned the pre-chorus. Now, we can play that in a minute. But first impressions, obviously, I know this isn't your first impression. But I suppose when you did hear it first, what was your impression of the singer Craig Cairns? He's clean, and yet he has personality. And you have to have just enough of that level of grit to balance out. You can't have a perfectly clean performance. And I think he kind of nails that. Mm. And that's what sort of separates the legendary singers like Halford and Bruce from yeah. and yeah from the lower ones because you have to have a little personality and character, and I think that's there. Yes, and I think um, he has, as you said, a clean vocal, but just enough bite in that cleanliness to make it stand out from, let's say a whole host of other Nawadham bands who have a perfectly clean singer who can hit all the notes, but doesn't necessarily have any character or grit in that vocal delivery. There you go. That's exactly what I wanted to get across. So you're picking it up. Yeah. All right. So I'm digging him as a singer, but man, that guitar line at the beginning, it's great. They're on the attack right out of the gate with a very clean sounding yet catchy riff. Yeah absolutely my thoughts as well right so i'm just going to play this pre-chorus here which i think is brilliant from the first song in they're hitting you with the various different melodies various different parts of the song it's really good songwriting i think like straight out of the gate Anyway, sorry, we're going ahead of ourselves there. So, yeah, that that's a it's a great chorus. It's really well sung. It's harmonized as well. It's got so much going for it. For a band releasing their first album, you can just tell that these musicians and singer have been paying attention. I suppose the singer is a musician as well. <laughs> sorry, Greg. <laughs> uh, these people have been paying attention in all the right ways to the best crafted songs and what makes a good song and songwriting in general and all of the components that need to be present in order for something to stand out from all that is out there at the moment, which is just a, a plethora of releases every single month. And it's hard enough anyway to make it as a band, but to make it in a kind of a niche, I won't say sub genre, but sub movement of heavy metal, it's even harder because the fans are so passionate and they're avid listeners and they listen to so much stuff and they're just a, they're awash with new releases the new music all the time and to to really stand out to make a splash like tail gunner have done you need to hone your craft very finely and i think they've done that and i know it's only the first few uh, minutes of the first song but you can hear it already like it's, it's just a, abundantly clear that they know what they're doing yeah i think you raise a good point you were talking about just before staring at spotify and everything you could listen to and it's an amount of choices as vast as the ocean. Mm. And this is an ocean that keeps growing. And like yeah. you said, it gets harder and harder to make a splash the more the time passes and people have more and more options. So Tailgunner, they're definitely doing the best that they can to stand out. And maybe it's not through complete originality or any or bringing something fresh to the table in terms of new 
but it's fresh in terms of delivery and spirit. Yeah. And I mean, I think if you look at some of the other bands that we focused on previously, like Tanith and even Blazing Right, like they, they're doing a whole lot to make themselves stick out from the crowd. And, and that's the music I'm drawn to. And I'm sure it's obviously the music you're drawn to as well. And there's a lot of copy and paste bands out there too. And well, Tailgunner certainly aren't one of those. That's, that's what I'll say from the very start of this examination of their album. So why don't we hop on over to track number two, Guns for Hire, title track. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I, um, looking back on my notes that I wrote when I was interviewing Tom, I've said this is one of the most memorable riffs from the album, Guns for Hire. Uh, so let's have a listen to the opening riff for that. So there's the opening verse of Guns For Hire, title track from the album, excellent riff, singing, just fantastic. So many melodies happening there, just in the verse, getting those melodies, like the rich tapestry of melodies just in the opening verses. That, that, that's, that's something that will always impress me. It's like, if you want me to pay attention, give me something that I can connect with, that I can hum, that I could walk away later singing, going, how did this get into my head? And I think these, these songs are already like that for me. Yeah, baby. It takes more than a little bit of talent to write a catchy melody. It's really not easy at all. And, you know, you can criticize a band for in this genre for not totally innovating all you want. But at the end of the day, like you can't you can't capture people's attention and get in their heads and give them a memorable chorus to sing if you're not talented in some way. That's something that not just anyone can do. And I think this song it's catchy as hell. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. So um, we're just going to jump ahead here now uh, and play another section of the song. So one second here. Anyway, don't want to play the entire song, but yeah, 
there's just so much going on in that like song two on the album the title track so maybe they put in a little bit of extra effort but it's got everything going in it it's got the instrumental passages really catchy chorus the verses are steeped in melody and you got that grit in the singing it's just got so much going on yeah man gorgeous melody after that second chorus and this is key this is track number two on the album that's a prime spot and now we got the fast song that's a great decision and I think this is one of the better tracks on the album and it's going to be the one the band plays live to get their circle pit moving guaranteed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not somebody who frequents a circle pit, but you know, you know, live and let live and all that. But I can imagine the types of person who do frequent circle pits uh, being in love with this one. So will we move on then to the song White Death? So I'm going to play this about uh, midway through the song. Hold on a second now. Bloody fantastic, yeah. Just it's great instrumental passages in these songs. Like it, it just keeps going, like right into track three. Um, I mentioned to Tom when I was interviewing that this song is actually shares a name with a Sabaton song, and um, it's about this uh, Finnish military sniper in World War Two called Simo Haya. I don't know how if I'm, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I asked him, does it become difficult coming up with original songs? like team wise not necessarily musically and he said he'd never heard of the sabaton song before but <laughs> <laughs> until afterwards <laughs> but, uh, he uh he said he he actually doesn't mind because like originality is you know it's that's one thing but doing something well is another and i think that kind of speaks to their approach to to music in general is like as you said you can hear iron maiden in there you can hear various other bands you mentioned a bit of megadeth whatever and I remember a friend said to me several years ago about starting up your own business. People get obsessed with the idea of a unique selling point. It's like, what's your USP? What makes you different? What makes you unique? And you don't necessarily have to be unique. You just have to do something and you have to do something well. Uh, there's more. Agreed. There's room for more than one band who sounds somewhat similar to Iron Maiden or has a bit of Judas Priest in them. But if they do it well, then, you know, there's room at the table. And the same with the uh, writing about particular topics. There's only a certain number of topics to write about available in the world. You know, uh, there's going to be duplication. But if you do it well, then there's room at the table as well for that. Sure. And I'm not going to give Tail Gunner my top awards for lyrics of 2023. I don't particularly. You're not? No. Uh, well, <laughs> they're joking. fine. They're, they're totally serviceable. They're not what I would call the highlight, but, you know. They, they get the job done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But and look, that's that's, that's, that's all it needs to be I'm here. I'm here for the music. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I mean, you know, if I wanted to go and listen to Nick Cave, you know, for some poetry, I can do that afterwards. But if I want to hear a good hard rock and heavy metal album, I can go listen to Tail Gunner. So um, will we have a listen to the song Crash Dive? Uh, I think this is probably one of the catchiest songs on the album for me. 
right? Now, to the listener, we've you've heard song clips from tracks one, two, and three, so you're definitely starting to get an idea now of what Tailgunner sounds like. They love their 80s heavy metal, and they're great at that. I think from here, the songs start to run together a little bit. Not to say that they're lesser quality, just that the album does tend to stay within the same musical realm, although mm. the tempos shift a little bit. It feels weird saying this, but I kind of feel like Tailgunner could have done better by releasing two EPs instead of one 46-minute album. Sure, but I don't know. Do you find, I do anyway, that there there's never as much buzz online about an EP as there That's is an the album? That's the problem. Yeah, exactly. People make a buzz more for albums certainly there, there's a great band who i suggested covering on a future episode that's amethyst and they have an ep out at the moment which is really good century had an ep out you know that was really good who else like midas they had an ep out before the album but i, I find with those bands that people don't actually really start giving a shit until there's an album out and it doesn't really make sense because we're in the spotify generation and all that but I find, like, look how much bigger a splash the Tailgunner album made than the Tailgunner EP made the previous year. Like, it's just huge. Oh, great point. And half of it is the bloody EP. (laughs) Well, hey, I mean, look, you're right about that. You know, uh, it's just the inherent challenges of the album format. But that said, I do think the quality rises noticeably once you get to track eight, Crash Dive. When I get to this point in the album, this song, like, hooks my attention once again, like a hundred percent. Okay, let's have a listen to the intro here. So Crash Dive, yeah, catchy as fuck. Kind of a late highlight on the album, I agree. It does kind of get a bit samey around the middle of the album, I'll give you that. I won't say that it's bad, but it's harder for the songs, maybe four, five, six, and seven, kind of to stand out, to jump out at you. I find the album is, can you call it an album, top and bottom heavy. So the opening three and the last three are probably the highlights, and the middle ones are kind of decent, but maybe less remarkable they're great songs taken on their own and i go back to just the challenges of the album format and to me as a listener this feels like too much of a good thing and there's it's hard to digest so much of the sort of same sounding tune and i understand that when bands do their debut album that's just the inherent challenge they're not thinking in terms of albums. They're just writing songs in the beginning and trying mm. to make the best songs they can. And they're compiling 
the early songs that have existed for varying lengths of time yeah. onto the first record and they weren't conceived of to be part of a package and you know there's that's not to say there's something wrong with that it's just it, it's the way it is when a first album happens but for like a 48 minute album uh it, it needs a little more variation to truly excel for me Mm. And I find, though, that there is one song that really stands out from all of the previous songs, and that's the final song on the album, Rebirth. I know you wanted to have a look at that. So, Oh, we can't go all the way through this episode without talking about Rebirth. <laughs> Okay, we've played quite a lot of it there, but yeah, that's kind of giving you a flavor of Rebirth, which is the final song on the album. And I would say probably the best. You think it's the best? I think I'd be inclined to agree with you. And if it's not the best, then it's certainly in the running with just a couple others. Well, to me, it kind of stands out from, let's say, Shadows of War, White Death, uh, Guns Are Higher, in that it has a far more going on. And coming from, you know, the background of being an Iron Maiden fan and quite enjoying the lengthier epics. This speaks to me maybe a bit more than those opening songs, which are excellent, but this kind of, I would hope to hear maybe a bit more of this on the second album. I know Tom said they've eight songs written already for the second album. I can imagine kind of a bit more maturity already happening in album two with them. Uh, Same maybe as what happened to Seven Sisters. Like first album was, you know, a Nawatham album. Second album, all of a sudden, it's The Cauldron and the Cross, and they have two nine-minute closing tracks, which really actually comprise an 18-minute long song. I could see them following in not quite the same way. They're not going to write a, a concept album about King Arthur, but um, <laughs> I could imagine more songs in this vein, maybe, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner-type vein, um, Phantom of the Opera, maybe, style vein, than just the uh, three or four-minute kind of shit-kickers. Yeah, they've got the 80s Iron Maiden sound, not the 2000s Iron Maiden sound, and true to that form, it's only one epic per album. Only one super long song. Although, I did I did mention to Tom that um, this song reminded me of a song from The Final Frontier. Uh, and it's one particular part in it. And I can't remember now. I'm just going to go try and find it here. It's, it's something from The Final Frontier. Um, hold on a sec. Stop blind the sun. Na, 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 na. No, <laughs> it's 
Yeah, it's the same melody. I yeah. I heard it. All right, okay. Anyway, yeah. sorry. That's um. Uh, they both both of the songs go na 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 na. Yeah, and they have the exact same lyrical tempo. Anyway, I'm sure that was just a coincidence. And even if it wasn't, it doesn't fucking matter. The whole rest of the song is completely different. But Great yes, song. they are more Great 80s song. Iron Maiden than they are 2000s Iron Maiden. So but generally excellent album there from Tail Gunner. If you haven't heard it yet, have a listen. It's available. Um, it's 2023. If you want the album, you'll find it. You've got the internet if you're listening to this, kids. Exactly. Yeah. Go and go and seek this album out if you like what you heard there. And they've got a UK tour coming up in October, actually. You can they're playing all sorts of different places. And uh, some of the shows they have Oath SC supporting them, or just Oath if you want. Um who'll be playing their first gigs. And those shows look fantastic. Hoping to get to one myself. And they're also playing Keep It True Rising in Würzburg in uh, October. So if you happen to be going to that, make sure to go to the opening bands because I think they're on very early. One of the two days. Anyway, that was Guns or Hire by Tailgunner. Fantastic. Great band. Great band, man. They're going places. And one of the best endorsements of all, they got to open for KK Downing in a UK gig. So hey, they did, yeah. They're endorsed by one of the legends. They did. And KK Downing, I'm reliably informed, now owns a CD copy of Guns for Hire. So there you go. Even cooler. Well, where do we go from here? as Dave Mustaine would say. I think we're talking about Witch Hazel next, are we? Yeah, I think we should talk about Witch Hazel next. So Witch Hazel is a band I've mentioned many times on Feckin' Metal recently because I think they're one of the best of the current crop of new wave of traditional heavy metal bands. I say current crop because I feel that there's an old crop, I think like we discussed, the likes of Night Demon, Visigoth, Eternal Champion, etc., and I feel there was kind of a replacement crop that came after them. Maybe, I don't know, Seven Sisters, Witch Hazel, etc. And I think maybe we're on kind of nearly a, a new crop now with the likes of Tail Gunner and all that. All right. Now, do you feel that Witch Hazel isn't part of that old crop? Because today we're talking about their fourth album. First one came out in 2016 and then there's various EPs and singles before that. Yeah, but it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. OK, that's true. Um Although the first the first album was 2016, was it? Yes, that's right. Okay, all right. So maybe they're part of the the old school. I don't know. To to me, I feel maybe like they're somewhere in between. Yeah, I don't know how much attention Prelude got when it came out. I'm not sure if it got as much attention as the second one or the third one did. So, um, I kind of ranked them in with the kind of the the second wave of the new wave. <laughs> it's still getting ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, well, hey, I, at the very least, this year has seen them get uh, levels of publicity that they haven't experienced before. They're getting more online and magazine articles. They're getting more attention on social media. So at the very least, you know, they're raising their profile in the year 2023. And this kick-ass new album is probably the big reason for that. They absolutely are getting more attention. And they've featured in the likes of Classic Rock, gave them a mention there recently, I think in the same breath as they did tail gunner or else it was metal hammer but i know the two publications are essentially the same publishing company um right but they were bands that were saving or bands that are proving that the new wave of british heavy metal isn't dead which i thought was a strong a strange way to kind of advertise current up-and-coming bands but anyway um they were mentioned in the same breath in an article uh, the same article as tail gunner were but yeah i certainly believe that they are 
maybe not one of the bands proven that the new wave of British heavy metal isn't dead, but they're one of the bands that proves that this style of heavy metal is alive. Let's put it that way. That probably means the exact same thing. But anyway, good. Um, <laughs> uh, you're putting a more positive spin on it that way. Yeah. And that's what counts. Exactly. Um, so I first saw these live at Keep It True uh rising 20 2022 i think which was the second one they were playing early in the day they were excellent they got a great crowd to them and they went down a storm and i imagine a lot of people were probably watching them for the first time and i know they played bloodstock at the weekend just gone now as well um so they're getting out there they're getting the big festival gigs uh bloodstock probably bigger than obviously keep it true rising but they're getting out there they're getting heard seen you know and they're getting spoken about so much you, you almost can't avoid them i actually like made a new friend by just approaching a bloke before the night team gig in dublin he was wearing a witch hazel hat and i was out having a smoke before the gig and i just went over to him and i was like oh witch hazel he's like yeah man <laughs> and he was, sorry that sounds like he's american he's from south africa but uh he just was so enthusiastic to talk about them as was i and the, just the, the fact that he was wearing a hat that said witch hazel on it, it's like it was enough. We were mates then, you know, he was inviting me to his birthday party the next week. Um, so it's, uh, and that's the beauty of metal. <laughs> I didn't go. I couldn't go at the time. I'm sorry about that, Cliff, if you're listening. But um, yeah, it's it's like it's the bands like that are almost currency. Like, you know, you're excited to see somebody else likes them and you go up and you know, it doesn't matter and about anything else that's going on in your life if you find somebody like who likes one of these bands that you're really enthusiastic about and want to talk about then you know it's you know that's it it's an in but which is like one of those bands like it's like if i had seen him maybe wearing i don't know some other band's hat that i liked i might not i mightn't have been as inclined to go over and, and strike up a conversation with him but i was like fucking witch hazel yes come on you know uh th that's that's the kind of inspiration the band gives me well, there you go yeah go up to a complete stranger and strike up a conversation hey well some people some folks might say that's strange me i think it's just cool and why the hell not i mean why are people so afraid to make a new friend in this day and age it used to be normal to talk to strangers guys exactly and there's a fucking good reason he was wearing a witch hazel hat is because he wanted to show other people that he liked witch hazel there's no other reason really and that's i think kind of why we all wear band t-shirts or merch it's to let other people know who we are and what our personality is and give them a glimpse into what we're interested in and you kind of want that you want somebody to strike up a conversation that's the actual that's the goal of all of it i think or you know wear a patch and somebody goes oh you have blah blah, blah. and you're like yeah yeah <laughs> and then you start talking to them and i can't count the number of people i've got to know in the last few years based on those types of interactions and they're excellent anyway i'm going way off track here and um, we're supposed to be talking about the new witch hazel album but my enthusiasm about the band got the better of me there but yes as you mentioned correctly well, that's a good intro to them <laughs> as you correctly mentioned the first album was out in 2016 called prelude they had some um earlier releases which are actually gathered in a great little compilation called early music which you can get uh, it's a compilation of three uh, 45 rpm uh, kind of single type releases the stuff from before the first album yeah but after that they released prelude uh in 2018 they released two sojourn in 2020 they released three pentecost and then uh this year 
just uh, in June, actually, of this year, they released four Sacrament, and they use Roman numerals for all of these latest three releases as well. Um, so Sacrament is the newest release from Witch Hazel, and it's the one we're going to be talking about today. And there was a kind of a lot of um, hype about this one, I, I noticed online. I obviously follow them on Facebook, and that's fine. You know, I follow a lot of bands on Facebook, so you see the hype directly from them. But I noticed hype coming in from other places, like we mentioned, the Metal Hammer or Classic Rock article, uh, interviews popping up, things like that. Um, the hype machine seemed to be kind of got invigorated by this release, maybe more so than the last one, I think, and that they built up a huge amount of momentum. And really, it's it's a long time since 2020 when you were a young band. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and in the pandemic age, every year feels like three years. Mm. <laughs> And in this case, it has been actually three years, so it's about time for a new Witch Hazel album. And let's face it, every new album is a chance to gain some new listeners and make people start paying attention again. And in my case, that worked for me because I hadn't been very familiar with Witch Hazel before this. Yeah, I'd heard of them. I never really got around to checking them out. But with all the hype on this new album, like you were saying, Mm. I wanted to hear it. And since... I've listened to it a bunch of times. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, they started releasing some singles. Now, I'm just going to go into this here to make sure I'm correct. So we had Angel of Light that was out in early 2023 in March. And that was the first kind of release. And I had uh, Digging Deeper on it as well, which was kind of categorized as a B-side at the time. But that is a song on Sacrament. Later on, then we had a thousand years, which was released in April. So they kind of took this approach of like uh, drip feeding singles on Spotify, if you like. And then in May, again, a month later, they released the song Strong Heart. So and with the if you count the B-side on the first one as well, Digging Deeper, you have four songs from the album that were released in the months leading up to the album's release. And a lot of bands take this approach these days. And what they normally do there. It's pretty typical, I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. And what, the, what they normally do and what Witch Hazel did is on Spotify, they will have the first single will have a song or two songs on it. The second one will have the ones from the first single and the new song on it. And then the third one will have all of them, including the new song. So, so they took that approach as well. And um, that's something I first saw done by Night Demon, actually. And it seems like other bands have followed suit now with that. They were the first band I noticed who did that. It's but a big marketing thing. Yeah. They call it the waterfall release i believe yeah oh, and with, with their pandemic singles i noticed that they were like always including the previously released singles on the new single on spotify that is sorry um specifically and i'm sure maybe on other streaming platforms as well i don't know i don't use any of them yeah but uh, yeah most so, of the time that most of the time they share the same exact number of lessons if you look at the they do yeah exactly between, yeah so it's only one unique track um Ex- like exactly right. yeah so like if you look at the, the listens on the actual album it's the same number as listens as the one on the actual single etc so it's one unique digital version of the song i don't know why i'm getting so deep into this anyway <laughs> but they uh, they basically released four songs from the album prior to the album's release so we knew what we were kind of gonna get we knew what we were getting into um to me i'd say a lot of it sounded typically witch hazel there was nothing uh, groundbreaking on any of those songs, but they were catchy, melodic, and you know, just I mean, they were standard Witch Hazel fare. So let's get into this album now. So, as I said, for Sacrament released in June 2023. Uh, the first song, actually, I couldn't believe this when I realized it. I'd, I thought that the uh, the intro reminded me of something. 
but I couldn't think what. And I, it finally came to me today, but I'm going to play it anyway. This is called The Fire's Control. It's the opening song on Sacrament. Let's go. Right, so you hear that and you might think, that kind of sounds like Thin Lizzy. Would you agree? Yeah, I'm with you there. Thin Lizzy is probably a key inspiration, maybe some Blue Oyster Cult and some of those other classic twin guitar bands. Right, so listen to this. That's the uh, Thin Lizzy song called Wild One. I was like, this is almost exactly the same as Wild One. Um, and uh, look, apologies, you know, if you're listening with Chazel, uh, But when I find these comparisons, I just find them interesting. And actually, I'm glad when I realize what the song is that I've been trying to think of and going, that's a Thin Lizzy song. And I was actually sitting here today going through the Thin Lizzy greatest hits going, it's not that one, it's not that one, it's not that one. It's like, And then it just popped into my head. It's like, it's fucking wild. But anyway, um, I, I still think it's a nice little opening riff. And, you know, again, there's only so many notes in the world and Tim Lizzy are definitely a huge influence on them. So it could have just been an accident. Yeah. Subconscious influence. Probably. But you know what? What better artist to rip off? Tim Lizzy is fantastic. And hey, and not to say that it's a rip off because there's difference between being inspired by something and ripping it off. And Witch Hazel very much goes off in its own direction. Okay. So we'll continue on with this. Uh, I'm going to play it again from the start. The Fire's Control. It is a bit faster than the wild one. So, one thing I thought here, my leave it play, is that Colin Hendra's vocals are kind of buried in the mix here, I felt. I'm not sure if I'm hearing that. I think they're nice and clear in the mix. You think so? I don't know. I just thought they would have been more blaring out of my headphones or my speakers than they are there. They seem more kind of, they don't seem to jump out at me hmm. as I would expect vocals to do for an opening track on a new album. Uh, or, or an album, sorry. It's not always going to be a new album. But anyway, sorry. His vocals are, are great and I, I love I love his voice. So, you know, it's pleasant to hear it again um, on a new song. So, so far, so which Hazel, I'd say. So let me ask, does Colin really just play every instrument? I'm looking at this Metal Archives now and it says guitars, vocals, drums, piano, organ, lyrics in the credits. I know there are four members of the band um, and two of those members have been there since 2011. So I'm not sure. Let's have a look. Right. OK, so I, I, I'm just looking at it as well. So I'd imagine that on that release, he probably does dip into all those instruments. But 
there's also other people involved. Like, uh, well, there's no bass listed there for a start. So, yeah, so he plays rhythm guitar. I reckon Alex Aslam plays the lead and Andy Shackleton plays the bass. Uh, and he probably dips into all of those drums, piano, organ, and all that type of stuff. Yeah, and their current drummer, he's not on the album. He They used a session drummer. But anyway, uh, we're probably getting too into the weeds. But it sounds like basically from the gist of this, Colin is sort of the mastermind behind this band and their songwriting, just because he has the versatility to contribute on a lot of different fronts, vocals and different instruments. Mm, it does seem like he's the Trevor William Church of the group. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and, hey. and a fun fact that uh, anyone can see this if they look at Metal Archives, but he was also in Angel Witch uh, back in 2015 as a live member. So not the first band that's flirted with witches that he's played with. Yeah. And he's cutting his teeth with one of the classic legends. Kevin Hayborn. Yeah. Angel Witch is a classic, so that's good experience if you're trying to start your own new wave of traditional heavy metal bands. Absolutely, yeah. A band I wish I had seen, actually. They played in Ireland in 2015, and I didn't go to see them. They've never played here since, and they've only really played sporadically, actually. Wish I went to it. I was out with a couple of friends who uh, were at it there. I was out with, having a pint with them there uh, last weekend. And I just gone to myself, why the fuck did you not go to Angel Witch? <laughs> you had the chance. You live and learn, Fergal. I, I, I know. And I have learned, in fairness. I have learned from bad decisions of the past, of not going to things. I make sure to go to things nowadays. I think that's a good policy. Right. Back to the anyway, fire's control. We're, we're talking about the fire's control. And I think actually there's a... A nice chorus in this song, it goes into some riffing, which again reminds me of Tin Lizzy. Uh, not anything in particular now, but um, it reminds me of the general style of guitar playing that you would hear in the, let's say, the Scott Garn, Brian Robertson kind of style. Are you afraid of the fire? Are you afraid of the fire? Are you afraid of the fire? Anyway, that's only a short little passage there, but it was um, something I thought was worth noting. Uh, but yeah, this song is, do you know what? It's good, but I don't think it's that remarkable of a song, I'll say, for the opening track of the album. Hmm. I'm not sure if I would say that. Well, I do like to go over the first song on the album first, because I love the context of the listener having the same introduction to the album as we have listening to it. And to me, once I get to the chorus in this one, it's like, holy crap, this song is so catchy. And again, I like these vocals. I think they have a commanding presence, almost like the singer Colin is preaching a sermon. And when he doubles his, well, he kind (laughs) of is, but hey, uh, when he doubles his vocal track, it kind of has a ghostly aura to it. And I like that too. Yeah, true. It's nicely layered. I will just say like the, the, the previous two albums, Pentecost helping with here's the fight. The the other one opened with the devil is here. I think devil, devil is here. Yeah, and I think those songs really like kind of punch you in the face. Uh, and I didn't get that same feeling here. But I think they've taken a slightly different approach with this album. There's no real kind of um, 
the devil is here type of songs, uh, which really kind of grab you by the balls. But the album itself is more, I won't say homogenized, but it seems like it's... It's a good cohesive listen. Is that what you would say? Yes, exactly. Yeah, there's nothing that really jumps out, but at the same time, it, it maintains a very high quality throughout and a style. I'd say throughout as well. And actually, um, as I'm looking at it here, and I meant to notice, I meant to note this somewhere, but I know I didn't, but I'm going to say it now that I think of it. Let's have a look at the album cover here. So, okay, so your man on the front there reminds me of David Crosby. Did you get that at all? Yeah, let's, let's just throw up a picture of David Crosby up on the screen and see. <laughs> Comparison. Put up David Crosby's side profile. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. All right, yep. There you go. So I was, and I and I noticed that this is the folkiest of their albums, like by a mile. Um, I know obviously like folk is a huge influence on them, but I find that the the heavy metal elements of the previous releases are kind of maybe played down a little. I think on this, and the folk is kind of turned up. And I was wondering, is that David Crosby? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I bet I, th- I'm. I think that's a little too much of a coincidence. <laughs> it's gotta be it's like hey man can you put david crosby on I, the cover i know i know i'm, I'm kind of semi-joking i'm 47 percent joking um and the thing behind that then is that like a sundial or i don't know what that is i'm sure it's something very specific but i don't know exactly what it is uh, i think it's just supposed to be a background image of colors and patterns nah there's more to it than that i reckon look at it it's very intricate got stars Lots of different little segments in it. Anyway, David Crosby on the album cover there. So uh, let's move on to maybe Angel of Light. Would you like to listen to that one? It's the number two track on the album. Was this the first single? Yeah, it's worth talking about. Okay, let's give it a go. You could be here all day playing it, but um, this is one of my favorite songs on the album, I'm going to say. It was one of the early releases. I think you said it was the first single. Yeah, you're probably right. And actually, I don't want to spoil what my thoughts are for the rest of the album, but I'll just say here that it's probably one of my favorite songs, if not my favorite song on the album. That's high praise. Yeah. And hey, this isn't one of my favorites, but I do think it's a good one. This gave me the the feeling of the Witch Hazel of old. I know they're not an old enough band to be saying that about really, but like it gave me that feeling of like the song like The Devil Is Here or like I Am Redeemed or something like that. Uh, I said, as I said, there's a bounce to it. And um, I think maybe they lose that bounce in maybe a bit a bit uh, later on in the album. But um, 
to me that's this one is is a really good song and there's an excellent melodic piece uh later on actually in the song that builds nicely into a bridge so i'm just going to play that as well melodic being my favorite word I'd, lo- I'd love for somebody to go back through all the episodes of feckin mantle and count out the number of times i've said melodic if it's not melodic it's not good enough for feckin <laughs> but listen to his voice it's so good Angel. Turn your face to me I will battle thee I will battle thee great stuff there so two songs in i feel it's built on the opening song actually i think this is better than the opening song um you said this isn't one of your favorites on the album so i assume you have other ones that you'd really like to discuss any, any ones in particular because there's 10 tracks on it uh so you know we don't need to cover them all then we're heading right down to track number three time and doubt okay would you like to play it from the start i would say cue up the clip at two o'clock and let it run for a minute on that but yeah i think so far so good on this album angel of light and time and doubt in particular for me really stand out yeah the band picks up the pace on time and doubt and they turn in one of the faster songs where the Mm. rest of the album can tend to be fairly down tempo but that i want answers chorus is so good oh and you just know you just know this song would be all over rock radio in 1979 (laughs) yeah Okay, so what else would you like to look at? 
Let's check out track number seven, Gold White, which is an instrumental interlude, like a minute and a half. And mm. I usually don't care much about these, but this one is an exception to me because I feel it's just that good. Yeah, I like this one as well. Bit of violin in it as well, actually. Right. Now, this music just feels medieval to me. Like, I can picture the Renaissance Fair in my head, and I hear this music in the background. It actually feels very Irish to me, especially with the violin coming in in the background. It seems like something that would be in the film Michael Collins. Yeah, as instrumentals go, this is this is quite good, and it, it's worthwhile. You know, it's not just a throwaway, and it's obviously building up to the next song, which is "Endless Battle." Will we let it go into "Endless Battle" next? Actually, why not? Because I quite like the heavier riff that that starts with. this as well the dual guitar behind the riff so good different and then it gets mellow all of a sudden Mm. I mean typically good melodies there in the verse anyway I'm going to stop it there before we go too far but um yeah, I thought Gold Light was a worthwhile instrumental and it does do a nice job of breaking up the album. It builds the anticipation to the next song, which I think is actually quite a good song. But at this point, I've noted nice folky melodies in the verse. Good chorus, but mid-tempo. Most songs are on this release. Uh, love the guitar after the chorus. Acoustic breakdown again. So we skipped a lot of songs, but many of them around the uh, two or three minute mark have an acoustic breakdown and then it builds back up and it goes back into a verse or a chorus. And I started to find that maybe this album was a little formulaic in that respect. The songs are kind of straightforward. Uh, I do like the fact that they have a kind of a bridge maybe and things like that, but there were multiple occasions where I noted that later on in the song, after they'd done a couple of verses and choruses, that there was an acoustic breakdown. You might only hear Colin Hendra on an acoustic guitar, and then the bass will come in, it'll build back up, and it'll go back into the song. And there's like there's undeniably great guitar and everything, but I find Endless Battle is an example of that. And I'm just going to play the part I'm talking about, and um, you might kind of, this might sound familiar to you. So there was a similar acoustic breakdown in the song A Thousand Years. There was a similar one in Deliver Us. Um, this is kind of a, almost nearly a trope. Then this, as I said, undeniably great guitar, so I don't know why I'm complaining. Oh, hey, I mean, you're right. 
but I could listen to this type of guitar all day, so you know. Anyway, sorry. I'm going to stop it there. But yeah, I think that's a good song. And we have a couple of tracks left down on the album. So we have um, Future is Gold and Digging Deeper. Any Either of those in particular you want to talk about or any particular parts of those songs? Yeah, now I will say that unlike Tail Gunner, this album, Sacrament, has a good amount of variation and there are acoustic songs to break things up and there's good flow from track to track. So I don't experience the same sort of burnout by the end of this album that I might with Tail Gunner. I could probably listen to, <clears throat> excuse me, I could listen to Sacrament over and over. And mm. I have. And track number nine is very acoustic-y. I don't think we mm. need to play a bit of that, but I would love to talk about track number 10, Digging Deeper. I think yes. that's a good closer. It leaves you with something thoughtful. And again, longest song on the album, running over six minutes. Yes, I do want to talk about Digging Deeper, but let's talk about The Future's Gold as well. Um, and let's just play from the start. So this kind of gives me the medieval lute music vibe. I want to say hats off to Colin Hendra for having a beautiful voice and it's not a word I use too often but he does have a beautiful voice I can't think of any better word to describe it time to let go of the past my ways are I agree it's a clean sounding vocal I see a freedom at last future is gold future is gold Lovely harmonies there as well, like just kind of taking that for granted at this point almost, but. Okay. Oh, nice. Just going to pause it there. But yeah, this the is The melodies are an embarrassment of riches on this album. Yes, true. And I think we were talking before we started recording and it was at this point on the album where I actually wrote the phrase, not the phrase, right? <laughs> The sentence, is this metal? No, it's not. But it shares a lot with metal-adjacent bands. For example, Ashbury, Jethro Tull, Wishbone Ash. So, Witch Hazel have their metal moments, certainly, and maybe more so on previous albums, I think. And for that reason, they are getting billed on the likes of Keep It True and, and Bloodstock, madly, um, which focuses on the more extreme metal, really, most of it, most of the time. And they belong there as well. I don't think they don't belong there. But at the same time, when you're listening to this, you're like, this is this really isn't a heavy metal song or, or anything close to it. But it does share a lot with those folky types of bands like Ashbury and like most metalheads I know who like old school metal, like the likes of Jethro Tull and they like Wishbone Ash and they like a bit of old Genesis and stuff like that, which nearly doesn't sound too dissimilar from this either, the singing at least. Um, so they, they slot nicely in there with a lot of those bands, even though like... For all intents and purposes, this song we're listening to here is an acoustic folk song. Yeah. And 
Yet it works on this album and it works in the context of this band. But it also works in the context of heavy metal, I find, because I find myself often more more recently, I suppose, needing to explain the type of metal I listen to to other people who don't know what it is, really. And I always focus on the phrase melody. And I think, like you said earlier, if it's not melodic, it's not good enough for fecking. And that's really accurate <laughs> based on the type of, of music I listen to, promote and feature on this show and actually like. And uh, it, someone might say it's actually quite a narrow spectrum in heavy metal, but that's, you know, my preference. And uh, I'm gra- I gravitate towards bands that are more melodic. And I think Witch Hazel are like almost too melodic to be considered heavy metal, but they, they crept in there, they snuck in there and they're in now. And they're never going to get out. <laughs> but like, they remind me of a band like um, Saracen or something like that, who were lumped in with the new vibe of British heavy metal. But if you go and watch them live, you're like, this isn't heavy metal at all. There's a synth in it. It's, it's there's a lot of like. Uh, you can't play heavy metal with synthesizers, Fergal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but it's like, if you heard it outside of the context of this festival and you didn't see people with their patches and t-shirts and stuff like that, you wouldn't necessarily think it was a metal band, but it is anyways. And I like then like then I think like it actually doesn't matter because they I think they have the kind of the heavy metal ethos. They have a, like a heavy metal approach in their songwriting, um, the way they structure the songs, etc. I say it sounds like folk, but I don't know any fucking folk that sounds as good as Witch Hazel. I don't know any folk musicians who are as arsed writing a good song with all the different segments and sections like you would expect in a good metal song as Witch Hazel are. So you can kind of almost Absolutely. do it a disservice by calling it folk when, in fact, it's intricately performed, deftly played uh, music. And like that, that's something I can only really associate with metal. So many riffs, so many melodies. So it mightn't be, it mightn't have gain, but it has spirit. Yeah. And like I say, it's the kind of music that people who are into metal would enjoy. And you know what? That's good enough reason to be covering it on feckin' metal. Exactly. Not that I need to justify anything I do on this, of course, but I can understand how some listeners might be going, what the hell? <laughs> Especially people who might have never heard of Witch House before. Okay. Well, hey, listen. Feckin' Metal listeners, if you don't like this song that we're playing, or this album or band, and you want to write in and say, this isn't metal, just direct your hate mail straight to me. I'll fight you. <laughs> to be honest, nobody ever writes in, so it's fine. <laughs> most <of> the- <laughs> Fair enough. Well, why aren't you? Leave us some comments, damn it. Tell us what you thought of these albums. They either agree with everything I say, or they don't give a shit. So it's one of those two. Okay, so we're going to talk about the last track on this. Oh, sorry, I'm out of breath after coming up the stairs. <laughs> I think we're about to talk about the closing track on album number four, Sacrament. Digging deeper. Yes. This is a good closer. It leaves you with something thoughtful. Again, the longest song on the album, running over six minutes. Yeah, uh, it does. And uh, I like, I, I'm always a fan of the longer song being the last song of the album. Uh, it has this weird backward intro, actually. So let's play that for a bit. And actually, I might let it play for, for a while, actually, because there's some good stuff in the opening minute or so of the song.
How does this man come up with so many melodies? I'm glad you played that intro. That's one of the parts I really like. Let's let the chorus play. Alright, there we go. So that's digging deeper. That's the first minute and a half or so of that song. I'll say that the riff captured my attention. It's not, not a heavy riff by any means or anything, but it's it's different enough to the ones that preceded it on the album to stand out. And as I said, like the, the melody's just in that opening verse. Then we get into the chorus. It's it's like a melody factory in Witch Hazel HQ. Right. And like I said, there's an embarrassment of riches here, and you're just driving that home by playing the last song. This is what they give you to go out with. Yeah. And then there's the, there is the kind of a, I would say, trademark. Oh, shit. I'm getting my foot caught up in my wires here. Sorry. Uh, there is the trademark quieter part uh, later on in the song. I'm just going to play that now as well. But, you know, I say trademark. It's not with a sneering kind of tone in my voice, but they have done it a few times on this album. But then, as is also kind of typical, they come in with some fucking amazing dual guitar. And that's some of the most haunting music on this album. Oh, yeah. It's almost painful. Somebody's in pain here. Yeah, is there a little bit of melancholy here? Yeah, absolutely. It has that melancholy feel to it as well. Yes. And it's kind of a nice somber end to the album. But then, almost out of nowhere, they hit you with what I would say is a soulful guitar solo. And in my opinion, the best guitar solo on the album. And it goes on for quite a while.
bloody beautiful guitar solo. Like that's when they kind of become a bit more metal again. You know, they're playing this kind of, let's say it's not a particularly heavy song. There's not as much gain on the guitar or anything like that, you know, uh, but then they just bring that in. And you're just like, oh, yeah, that's like that's a Randy Rhodes solo. That's a that's a that's a nearly a slash solo. I don't know what like it's just unbelievable. Yeah. And that's why I really want to talk about this one. It makes an epic closer. And like you said, it's good to go out on the longest song because you want to go out on the highest note. I mean, provided you have saved the best for last. And a lot of artists, they don't want to do that anymore because people don't make it all the way to the end of the album in the mm. streaming age. But it's there like a reward for the listener who makes it all the way through the album. Yeah, as we discussed with Tail Gunner and the same can be said with Witch Hazel. They've saved the best for last and it is a reward. And I think Tail Gunner and Witch Hazel are very much album oriented bands, uh, even though we spoke about how Witch Hazel released four singles in the run up to or three singles with four songs on them. I think in the run up to the release of the album. Yeah, sure. It, in that respect, you might say they're singles oriented, but I really think that their album deserves to be listened to as a whole entire piece of music. And that's what they're going for. That's the audience they're playing to, the vinyl collector, the old school metal fan, the person who has their old copies of Songs from the Wood by Jethro Tull, uh, gathering dust maybe, but maybe they're pulling them out now and revisiting them. And um, yeah, it's like that type of music fan. And I'd say that's their audience. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I mean, hey, even on Metal Archives, you look at the page for this album and it says side A and side B as if it were an album that came out in the vinyl era yeah. instead of just listening tracks one through ten. Mm, absolutely, yeah. And that's the way it should be, I think. Um, so that's Witch Hazel and that's for Sacrament. I will say, obviously, we didn't cover every song on the album and look, it, it's it's a really good album. But I don't think it's as good as their last two albums, personally. At the same time, I'd be willing to change my mind on it. It's only been out since June. Um, and there is a lot of stuff to sink your teeth into, specifically the clips we played there. But we skipped a lot of songs, too. I just found that maybe some of the songs, kind of like we said about Tailgunner, I suppose, some of the songs in the middle of the album sounded a bit samey and perhaps started to adhere to a kind of formula. Right, right. And you know what? I think there is a versatility, and I think that this album, personally, I feel it flows better than Guns for Hire by Tail Gunner, and the acoustic bits and the folky bits interspersed with the more rocking, harder bits, uh, I think that it's broken up nicely, and I think by this stage in the game, it's their fourth album, and they have an understanding of what they need to do to make it flow from track to track. And the fourth album, like, when you're at that point as a band, you want to deliver something that really shows off what you can do. If you go back and think about a lot of your favorite bands, the fourth album is usually a significant one for them. Mm. And yeah, Witch well, Hazel, to me, they pulled it off. Although, based on what you're saying, I think I have to make it my homework to go back and check out their earlier material, too. I mean, well, yeah, and I, I agree with what you're saying there. I mean, their fourth album is is their peace of mind, um, you know, and on on Iron Maiden's peace of mind, like they gave us uh, to tame a land, and they gave us stuff like Revelations and stuff like that. And I mean, if you're looking even at Judas Priest, obviously, which is your podcast, their their fourth album is is Stained Class, which has Beyond the Realms of Death and and various other things on it, you know, which uh, deviated 
quite a lot from what they'd released before. Yeah, so um, fourth album is is definitely the place to show off your skills, and I think they really did that on the song "Digging Deeper." Yeah, and this is a good album overall. And what is cool about this one is that there's a let's say medium low level of heaviness that makes this Witch Hazel album accessible to so many people and so many situations, maybe more so than other traditional heavy metal bands. Absolutely. I would say Witch Hazel is far more accessible than the likes of Tail Gunner, for example, where if you stuck the Tail Gunner album on to maybe a particular audience who weren't necessarily fans of heavy metal, they might dismiss it as, oh, that's just kind of 80s heavy metal. Whereas Witch Hazel is kind of, it's it's broader in scope, I think. And it, it, like you said, it could appeal to all sorts of fans. If you didn't frame it in any particular way and you just put on the music, I'd say you could have quite a lot of people's ears pricking up going, hmm, what's that? You know, and you'd be like, well, <laughs> I'll tell you. Right. Yeah. When I talked about before on the song Time and Doubt, and I said the song would be all over rock radio mm. in 1979, I wasn't just trying to blow smoke up the band's backsides or make some sort of hyperbolic exaggeration. I think that the only thing this song is lacking is that it didn't come out in 1979 mm. because it sounds like it just fits right alongside anything else you'd hear on classic rock. Sure. And I mean, you, you, I think, yeah, people would sing this. You could put that it's in with your, enough. with your Blue Oyster Cults or your Leonard Skinner or whatever the hell else was on, on the radio at that time. It would fit in there easily and nicely. Um, all right, so that's going to do it for Witch Hazel, which brings us to our final release uh, for this particular episode. And that's the new EP, or we calling it a single, I'm not sure. I think it's an EP uh, from Phantom Spell, which is the side project of Kyle McNeil, who is the singer and one of the guitarists in the band Seven Sisters. Um, and he's the been doing... Kyle McNeil, who you know from Seven Sisters and the feckin' metal theme song. I was just going to say, yes, uh, he composed two unique pieces of music for me. One, which is the intro music you hear at the start of most episodes, and the other, which was most recently featured on the intro to the Gotham City episode. Both of them commissioned pieces by me. Or sorry, commissioned by me. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I asked Kyle to write me two pieces of music and I paid them. I paid him for them. Um, and those are the two team tunes for Feckin' Metal. Uh, fantastically talented guitarist. Very talented singer. I've mentioned Seven Sisters so often on Feckin' Metal and in general because I feel that they deserve a much larger audience than they have at the moment. Um, they have their audience, you know. Uh, they have their loyal fans. And so does Phantom Spell already have its loyal fans and its audience. Kyle released uh, sure. this EP on vinyl. So I'd say an EP because he's releasing two new songs that we're going to cover here. But on the physical release, he also included two singles that were never available on uh, on a physical release before. So the first ever single from Phantom Spell called Keep On Running, which was kind of a standalone song. And then the next song he released in 2022 called The Phantom Spell. Both of these preceded the initial album Immortals Requiem. And both of those are going to be included on the physical release of Tales from the Black Spire, but neither of them were included. Which is already sold out. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, neither of them were included on Immortals Requiem. So, uh, yeah, yeah, he, he released 250 copies of the new EP, 125 in one colour variant and 125 in another. They sold out in a matter of days, which is really impressive. So I'd imagine he's very happy with that. And, 
250 isn't an, isn't an enormous number, but it's quite impressive for selling physical releases of an EP by a side project of a band who is part of the new wave of traditional heavy metal. Like he's really kind of narrowed down his audience. That was exactly what they want. And, and writes music for them. I think uh, probably writes music for himself, but you know, um, that was exactly what he it, found who his listener is. That. Yes. Yeah. There we go. So, and if you're the listener, don't worry about not being able to pick up a copy of the EP on physical because all these songs are still available on Spotify for your listening pleasure, including these two new ones that we're about to talk about. And hey, listen, even though it's only, well, let's say, 10 minutes of new music, it's so good that we both feel it's worth covering. It certainly is, yeah. And I will say I did order one of those physical copies of the new release. And I was kind of, you know, when you go on Bandcamp and you have it in the basket and you're hemming and hawing about clicking purchase and uh, then I kept getting his updates directly via message via, from Bandcamp talking about how quickly it was selling out. And I was like, fuck this. I'm buying it. <laughs> I'm buying it. You made the right choice because they're gone now. Yeah. And like, but hey. I remember a similar thing happened with um, Seven Sisters where they released the EP Campfire ta- Tales on a uh, on um, vinyl. And it was like uh, acoustic renditions of older Seven Sisters songs. And uh, at the time, I was like, oh, yeah, I might buy that. Yeah, uh, sure. Why not? Um, it'd be nice to have. And then all of a sudden it was like, fuck, it's absolutely sold out. And the one song on that, actually, which I think is the best song, is a cover of the Thin Lizzy song Borderline, which is a not, it's not a particularly well-known Thin Lizzy song. But Kyle does a fantastic acoustic rendition of that. And I deeply regret not buying that. So um, I said, fuck it, I'm not going to miss out again on something like this, a small small release uh, you know of, of this type of band it's always worth picking it up i think because it's not necessarily ever going to be another release of that and probably won't be unless he becomes a, a millionaire and you know can fund all of this stuff <laughs> down the line in mass production but uh, somehow i doubt right. that yeah uh, i'm inclined to agree with you but hey i mean you've got this one and for all the listeners we're gonna play you a little bit of these two new tracks now Yes, so um, I'm going to spend the remainder of this podcast comparing Phantom Spell to various different 70s prog rock bands um, because that's all I notice, especially on this release. I notice some of it, uh, obviously, you know, the 70s prog rock is, is, is an enormous influence on Phantom Spell and like Immortals Requiem had flourishes of that on it. But I think these two songs in particular, it's like he's really flexing his 70s prog muscle here or he's really wearing his influences on a sleeve maybe is a better way of putting it um so the first song on that's the way i wrote it in my notepad on a sleeve honestly <laughs> yeah right there for us all to see very good so uh the first song actually um thought on memory initially immediately i don't have do you have, are you a fan of marillion at all don't know them okay so immediate or rush do you like rush i do enjoy me some rush Okay, so the first two bands that came to mind when I hear this intro is Rush and Fish era Marillion, which actually isn't 70s prog rock, it's 80s prog rock, but Fish was the first singer in Marillion and they had quite a different sound when he was in the band to when he left the band and they had their replacement singer. But um, those were the two kind of bands that came to mind when I played Thought and Memory and I'm going to play the intro to that. I'm going to play the intro to that now. (laughs) 
that's a nice place to stop it there. Yeah, so you're getting that. That kind of, is an exceptionally pleasant keyboard synth. Like, wow. Yeah, that's just a nice sounding part. Isn't it? And like, you just don't hear music. <laughs> like, I sound like an old fucker now. But you just don't hear music like that anymore. Um, unless you're going back and listening to some of those bands I mentioned. But like, that's not common. And like, Phantom Speller playing Keep It True um, Rising in October. And I think that's fantastic because, as we mentioned about Witch Hazel, who also played that festival, a lot of it doesn't necessarily sound like heavy metal, but it will be 100% accepted by fans of heavy metal because it, totally it shares so much you know, in common with the music that I suppose is considered typical heavy metal. It shares so much in the notes that they play, in the, in the melodies that you hear, not necessarily in the way it's produced or I don't know in, in like in how the instruments come across, but, but everything else it like it shares with heavy metal. And, and that's why, you know, Phantom Spell is a no brainer for the likes to keep it true. Yeah, I agree. And the link between the sort of old school rock sound and heavy metal, it, it's not so far apart, or I should say those two styles of music are not so far apart. Mm. And I agree. And just like what you talked about with Witch Hazel, Phantom Spell, they fit right in with the same sort of heavy metal fan base. And I don't know if we mentioned this before we started recording, but we were talking about Encyclopedia Metallum. Mm. Now, if you go on Kyle McNeil's page, you'll see a link to click on Seven Sisters, but you won't be able to click on Phantom Spell. No. Their name is there, mm-hmm. but it's all grayed out. Yeah. And, uh, well, the powers that be in, who run Metal Archives say, they're not metal enough to be there. Uh, oh, well, so be it. But hey, maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. True. And I mean, like, there's lots of bands in, in that that fit into that category. Uh, one of the, the more yeah. glaring omissions, I think, is um, Praying Mantis, who, for some reason, they've just taken a stand against. And they're like, nope, they're not heavy metal. And they're never getting on metal. Uh, Encyclopedia Metallum. Um, I, I could understand why they don't put Phantom Spell on. Like, I don't know if there's entirely enough metal to to warrant it but at the same time it's a metal adjacent band which features heavy metal sounding guitars in particular tracks um but it's quite proggy as well it's very proggy but again like at a festival i keep it true if you're looking at people's patch jackets you're quite likely to see like a marillion patch or you're quite likely very likely to see a rush patch on people's patch jackets alongside all of the uh, bands like I don't know Omen and uh, Manowar and uh, I don't know whoever the hell else you know um, who would be on on the old school German fucking heavy metal patch jacket but you're just as likely to see a few prog bands as well and that's why I say like it's this music like this is it's kind of it's it's in the circle of heavy metal like it wouldn't necessarily be full on hard kind of ferocious sounding metal but it's it's in there it's in the it's in the conversation yeah i think that's a good succinct way of summing it up but hey i think it's time to hear a little more of that song absolutely so um later on in the song so i've said that uh, this could be from nursery crime again I, 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 would you ever listen to old school genesis i don't know genesis i've got to catch up on that one too you have to start listening to some prog god damn it you're missing out on so much so much that i think you'd really love especially because you love like modern iron maiden uh steve harris cites nursery crime by genesis as one of his main influences and this piece here i've just said this could be from nursery crime this is how 
heavily influenced i think this is by that type of music uh, i'm just gonna play it here more homework for me fergal okay well that's <laughs> go, fine go and listen to i'm up for it go and listen to nursery crime and tell me you don't love it nursery crime sure i, I feel like buying it for you on vinyl and sending it to you <laughs> but uh, fergal don't do that to yourself i have the internet buddy <laughs> um, <laughs> all right sorry i'm gonna play this part here hanging on the a picture of a new dawn Ringed in thoughts and memory Reflections in the storm As grains of sand trickle through the hourglass He can see the world form And he thinks to himself as the die is cast Well it's not as though the past won't lie. So yeah so I was just getting Peter Gabriel vibes from that but um just in general this song is just it's it's people are probably getting bored of me now like you know comparing it to other stuff but it it's as you said like you could even hear some Pink Floyd in there man mm, sure yeah you could hear a bit of that a bit of Roger Waters singing an acoustic piece of something from the wall in there yeah, and that, that fits in more with the early Pink Floyd as well. But hey, I mean, go on with what you were saying. Um, and then this this bloody chorus, and I know you mentioned to me the other day that you don't really know Yes either, so sorry for being an arsehole. <laughs> but this sounds like Yes to me. Like The moral of the story, George needs to catch up on his classic listen rock Listen to 70s Other prog. than Rush. <laughs> so here we go. that play all day um but yeah i absolutely love his voice he's one of my favorite singers i think he has a unique voice even in this kind of whole new wave of traditional heavy metal his voice to me is instantly identifiable and that's hard to say for a lot of people um it, it doesn't exactly sound like anyone it really only sounds like him yeah kyle doesn't really have the that kind of stereotypical Bruce Dickinson or Michael Kiske. Uh, yeah, he's got his own sort of style. Yeah, and he, like, he, do you know what? As well, I think the, the notes that he chooses to hit, or the um, notes that he chooses to include in the vocal melodies, are. I said this to him ages ago when we were talking about the second set or the third Seven Sisters album. Uh, they're not exactly the ones you'd expect. And I think they're slightly a little off kilter. That goes for Seven Sisters and Phantom Spell. So when you're listening to the music that accompanies the song, you might be expecting a particular note to come. And he doesn't give you that one. He gives you a different one. And you're like, oh, and then you're like, but no, that actually works as well. I think he's really good at that. Well, there's your originality right there, listeners. Exactly. Um, so uh, sorry, I've kind of lost where we were now. Oh, yeah. So 
there's a final piece of the song and I've just written the note here song, saying these songs are so refreshing so I know I keep comparing it to 70s Prague but like l- like I'm probably well out of the loop with what's going on in Prague at the moment I remember trying to keep up with it in the 2000s and the bands that were being touted as Prague to me didn't sound anything like what I knew Prague to be so I kind of stopped paying attention but I don't know of too many bands who are playing music in a style to this that are currently making music. So somebody would probably correct me and say there's loads of them and you're obviously not following the new wave of traditional heavy prog or something. But uh, it's uh, <laughs> to, to me, these songs sound really refreshing because of the fact that you just don't really hear this type of music anymore. And this exemplifies it uh, here. <laughs> There you go. Just an instrumental passage, instrumental passage towards the end of the song. There, but yeah, what, what's your take yeah, on this? That's fantastic. Yeah, you love it. Yeah, I mean, listen, that sounds like just a cool classic '70s rock song, and I think that sort of keyboardy stuff. We could use a little more of that in heavy metal as well. Certainly could. Yeah, I mean, it fits right in. As I said, the notes being played are kind of. Um, or sorry, the, the like the style in which the songs are written, it, it's similar to how like a heavy metal guitarist might write a guitar riff. Um, and even if you go back to like Deep Purple, you know, uh, often the keyboard solos on albums like Machine Head were, firstly, they were indistinguishable from the guitar solos. It was hard to tell which was which. And secondly, they were just as good. Like if you look at a song like... Um, Nobody gonna take my Highway Star. Uh Highway star. (laughs) Like the keyboard solos in that are just as good. Bring it back. Bring it back. Let's keep it going. Hell yeah. All right. All right. Do we want to talk about track number two, Dragon's Dream? Certainly do. So this is the second and final track on the digital release of this. And it's the second and final new song if you get the physical release. So, um, of course, we're going to cover it. So this is Dragon's Dream. And uh, yeah, let's just play the opening here. Let's have a listen. That's giving me rush vibes now. The spirit of radio. A little bit. I've got another comparison, but I'll bring it in later. But now it, it's totally been listened. Yeah. I said here, like, this is kind of an example of slightly off the wall notes. Sorry, I wanted to stop before the vocals came in. Yeah, so Tin Lizzy was your other comparison, was it? Or did you have something else? Yeah, especially once it got going and mm. 
they started with the more up-tempo beat. Like then I'm hearing something along the lines of the boys are back in town. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I can hear that in there. Yeah, definitely. And we know Kyle is a big Tin Lizzy fan. He, uh, as I said, this Seven Sisters covered uh, Borderline. Um, so yeah. Yeah, that's the band where I said Kyle's wearing his influences on his sleeve. Yeah. <laughs> definitely do you know what I find so many of the current bands that I really like seem to be massive fans of Tin Lizzy I don't think there's any coincidence there you're looking at like Night Demon Seven Sisters slash Phantom Spell uh, okay. and we're talking about UK bands today so it's all too appropriate which Hazel sorry it was <laughs> the other one obviously that we just discussed yeah but like god their influence is so strong like even I think it's stronger now than it's ever been almost yeah, yeah, I think it's a band that needs to be rediscovered by a lot of people, especially American audiences who may not have been as exposed to Thin Lizzy as you were. Yeah, certainly. Um, so yeah, sorry, I stopped at where the vocals came in there, but I'm gonna just rewind it a tiny bit. But um, yeah, I just, I just like we said earlier, I just fucking love Kyle's vocals, and like this is another great example of them. Now, before we go ahead, there is a note, a particular note that he uses in his vocal melody here that, to me, separates the men from the boys in terms of songwriting. So when I'm saying things like earlier, oh, he often sings in a way and he puts in this kind of note that you wouldn't expect, but it fits it really well, where another note would have sufficed and maybe a a lazier songwriter would have chosen a different note. I think there's a really good example here of what I'm talking about. So sorry to interrupt there, but um, it's coming up now in a sec. I gotta go back to it again. Fantastic. Just like we love the days that came before. To stop ourselves from wanting more. But the dragon's dream will keep me moving on. So I think he could have just said, just like we love the days that came before, like he did in the earlier line, but he didn't. He went, just like we love the days that came before. That's the richness of the melody you're going to get from Kyle McNeil. And that permeates the Seven Sisters songs and it's all over Phantom Spell. And it's like, It's just the extra little bit of, hold on, I'm not just going to keep the melody out on the previous line there. I'm going to go deeper. I'm going to go in a different direction and I'm going to give a little bit more um, in terms of depth. Oh, man, that's the kind of detail that separates the good songs from the great songs. You know, they just give you that little bit of extra melody to give you the variation and it breaks things up and it shows off what they're capable of. You know what? I love it. And that's the kind of thing that I praise all the time in, when Judas Priest and Rob Alford do the same thing. Mm. So credit where credit's due. You know, it's a really well written song. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Fucking love it. I must have had this song on repeat about ten times in a row there when it was released. It was like just couldn't get enough of it. It was so rewarding. And every time I listened to it, it was like it didn't like there was it didn't dilute the quality of it just continuing to listen to it. I was like, this is just so fucking good. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you, man. These are very re-listenable, just like we were saying with Witch Hazel. And it does lie in a similar musical realm as well, where it's a, it's pretty hard rock and said Lizzie-influenced, maybe a little BOC, Wishbone Ash, yeah, Deep Purple. Yeah, it's all in there. And I think that it makes a good, I'm going to borrow a term you used, a good metal adjacent sound and yeah this track this track it's good enough that it's worth covering just alongside the other two full-length albums like you know what it's good enough that tales from the black spire it deserves some attention exactly and he, he actually mentioned in the release notes for this via a bandcamp message that this really helped him put aside any musical ideas he had left on the shelf and now he could fully focus on writing entirely new music for the new Phantom Spell album but he said these ideas have been knocking around for years and he wanted to put them to bed and I'm very glad that he did because to have left these songs on the shelf to have shelved these ideas uh, would have been a crime so I'm very glad that he decided to actually turn these into full songs. Um, Okay so that's kind of going to do it for three more from 23 um the latest installment on our new wave of traditional heavy metal series but not by any means the last as you mentioned earlier on in our chat uh, we have some geographically themed episodes coming up and who knows what else who knows we haven't really decided but um we do have some ideas on up on the board and uh up on the kanban board and we're gonna um we're going to dip into those as we see fit. So, uh, yeah. So, to, to hey, whatever we go with next, you know, it's going to be something good about the new wave of traditional heavy metal. And we'll keep you updated with what's going on and the latest and greatest. And stay tuned for that. But, we'll, but we won't tell you everything that's in the can because, hey, the element of surprise is a valuable thing. Thanks a million, George, for coming back on Feckin' Metal. I really appreciate it. It's been another great episode, another great chat about three excellent bands and three really good releases that uh, came out in 2023, and that's been the theme. So thank you very much. And It's an honor, Fergal. Yeah, and I'll be chatting to you again very soon. Thank you. And to the listeners, you have a good one. All right, that was three from 23 where we cover two albums and an EP from Tailgunner, Witch Hazel and Phantom Spell. If you were not familiar with those bands, I hope you liked what you heard and maybe you'll go and investigate some of them. Uh, if you want to catch Tailgunner, they're playing a shitload of gigs, including one tomorrow in Edinburgh, which I'm actually flying over to. So they're playing in Bannermans in Edinburgh. They also have Oath playing with them, which I'm dying to see. It's the second ever Oath gig. The first ever Oath gig is happening today, which is the 17th of October in Newcastle. And I really wanted to make that, but it was just a bit too messy getting to that and get back so i've decided to settle for the second gig uh, which is tomorrow in edinburgh really looking forward to that so that's tailgunner tantrum as well which is stephen waddle's old band which are a great new wave of traditional heavy metal band as well um and another band called wildfire which i gave a cursory listen to recently but they were another scottish band as well so uh an english band and three scottish bands that are keeping it local for their gig in edinburgh that's in bannermans tomorrow i'm really looking forward to that i'm going to be meeting up with my good friends andy tracy and cameron from armstrong gun you might remember hearing him on some previous episodes uh, andy and tracy aren't from Armstrong Gun, just to clarify there. Um, but yeah, 
that's pretty much going to do it for this episode. I know I've kept you here a while, but fuck it, you've been waiting two months, so maybe you could spend two hours with me and George, and I hope you enjoyed what you heard. Give me a shout on Twitter if you like. It's at Feckin' Metal Cast to discuss some of these releases or bands or whatever. Maybe you're going to the uh, Tailgunner gig. Who knows? Give me a shout. Say hello. And I'm going to leave you, seeing as we played so many tracks from all of those bands that I mentioned, I'm going to leave you with a song from a different band. The band is called Randy. They're from Denmark and they have a song called Beast in the Night, which is a bit of a cult metal classic that Tailgunner regularly includes in their set. And I hope they include it tomorrow. They included it at Keep It True and it was one of the highlights of their show, along with uh, Judas Priest cover Exciter, actually. But here is Randy, Beast in the Night, and I will see you next time. (laughs) 